Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. And I'm going to begin with an intro, and we're not, we're not going to read a scripture together because I'm going to read it later. Um, but as you know, or as you have heard, or if you've seen and stuff, there is not, certainly not a schism, but there, there is divided attention and differing opinions going on in the body of Christ right now regarding a grace message or a gospel of grace message and how that is understood, interpreted, applied, uh, looked at. And for those of you that are new to us and where those of you who aren't and have been with me for a long time, yes, New Day got in, began a transition about three years ago into an understanding of the gospel that has been incredible for me, for me personally and for this church and uh, I think when it first started, uh, I don't know how you are when God reveals something to you, but I, I tend to be a little bit, and I, I hope it's a reflection of an innocent heart, but a little bit naive. When God shows me something, I just get so excited and just want to share it with everybody, and that's my personality, not realizing that as I did it, that other people would go, What? <laughs> No, I don't like that. I don't believe that. That's not what I've been taught. That's not what I've heard. I disagree with you. And and so this quote by Bill Johnson is very meaningful to me and stuff. And all I can say to you is uh, I used to, as a with the 30 years of being in ministry, I've always understood that as a minister, God does not call people to preach a man-pleasing gospel. And I couldn't determine my life in God by how well people liked or disliked what I taught or preached out of the revelation that God was giving to me or to us as a a group. I have never felt that so acutely as I have the past two years. And in my naivete, would have never thought that it would come to that over such a beautiful message as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this has been not something new for me. This has actually been a, re, a restoration process. And I think for many of you, it's been a restorative process in the body of Christ. In understanding that, what I felt for direction for 2014 from the Lord is that we actually go on, if you will, and I use this term more descriptive than, than defining, go on a discipleship journey this coming year that uh, I, I found an incredible book by a guy named Steve Wheeler, who's South African, whose church went through a transition of its understanding of the gospel of grace. And uh, uh, the book's incredible because it was, uh, it was both comforting to me and then challenging to me because they made lots of mistakes that I've already made, but laid out in this book how to go through a transition that gives you everybody foundational understanding, why we're teaching the way we're teaching, why I'm emphasizing what I'm emphasizing in that. And so we'll go on that journey, but with that, I began at the beginning of the year and with all the inclement weather and everything, 
I started talking about an invitation to a conclusion and to think con- conclusively. And with that, one of them didn't get recorded through, through technical error. And then the other time I taught, uh, we had, like today, a very snowy day. So this isn't much better than that day. Uh, and then my surgery happened and other teachers came in. And so I feel like I need to do an invitation to a conclusion 2.0, if you take my meaning, to to reestablish the foundations so that we can enter into this teaching time of, we're going to call it what the book title is, The Highway to Grace. And so I invite you that if your friends weren't here or people in your small group weren't here and you're going on the journey with me that you actually download or listen to them uh, on our website and you can get those. Usually they're up by Monday or Tuesday, at, sometimes Wednesday at the latest, but I'll try and get them up before then. But go on the journey with me. And as I give this invitation, listen to what Bill Johnson said. One of the things that, that I think has always disturbed me And perhaps it it was some of my, so if I can just talk a little bit to everybody. Some of it's my political background. And do you know what knee-jerk politics is? Yes, no? How many of you understand that meaning? Not very many. Okay, knee-jerk politics is when a politician says something and everybody goes, what? And it violates some form of their thinking or their idealism or their philosophy or their views and stuff. Well, one of the things that's disturbed me about Christianity, are there things that disturb you about Christianity? Really? I bet you I could get it there real quick. (laughs) Oh, could I disturb you about Christianity? Well, one of the things that's disturbed me as a pastor is knee-jerk Christianity. That when we hear something that pokes or looks at something in a different way than we look at it, we, we act, react with anger and debate. And you know what anger and debate does? Cuts off learning and love. It really does. See, I, I love, I don't know about you, I love dialogue. I hate debate. I don't like, I never wanted to be on a debate team because debate says this, I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm gonna prove it to you. <laughs> dialogue says, wow, you see that? I, I don't see that. I struggle with that. Uh, my thoughts can't get there. But it honors the person, other person's point of view. You know, and this has been the dilemma in the body of Christ for years, and thank God we're no longer in the 14th, 15th, or 16th century because we would burn each other as heretics. The knee-jerking back then was a lot worse because then it was neck-jerking. Why are you saying on this? Love one another. When you're hearing and reading this stuff, love one another. Love people. Care for them. Don't let people become, because they have a different theological view, don't let them become your enemies. They have a different view. Love on them. Care for them. Listen to them. You don't have to agree with them. Now, in saying that, 
I will say what I have taught from the very beginning of New Day, and some of you are there, that were there in the early, early days, some in the backyard with me, some in the old trailers with me, it's this. We don't have to be in complete agreement over everything to be in unity. And I've always asked everybody, search the scriptures. Listen, I can make a mistake, or you can see it differently than I do. It's okay. You don't, you don't have to walk away grumpy or mad or anything. Go on the journey. Can you express different views than the pastor? Yeah, you just got to explain yourself and, and hear it. But I don't want to, you know, and I will, but I don't really want to debate. I, I, uh, I don't have anything left to prove. I have Jesus. We have Jesus. I don't, Jesus, I don't have to be the defender of his faith. He's big. He's God. And this is what I've always understood in having a learning heart. If God is not bigger than your view and understanding of him, he's not God. Because I know in part and I see in part, and I'm limited, and I'm finite. God knows all. He's infinite. All-encompassing. He's the author and the finisher, not just of salvation, but of life itself. We would not have Pluto and argue over whether it's a star or a planet if God did not exist. Yet I can't even describe Pluto to you, let alone define it. You getting my drift? So I want us to go on a journey together, and it's this. I have been, and Brenda will attest to this, I have been going through one of the most exciting, life-changing times that I have ever had since I came to an understanding of salvation into my life. It has been, he has upended me, and I am glad all over, as the old song says. I just, only about five of you will get that. I am glad all over. I'm glad when I'm alone. I'm glad when I'm with others. I am glad, I finally have found within the kingdom of God, not just righteousness and peace, but I finally found true joy the most liberating kind that I've ever experienced in my life, and I want to teach it to you. Because knowing usually starts with knowing about. We know about something, and then when it comes in, we know something. It it, it becomes us. It doesn't mean you have to see it all the way I do, but boy, I want to invite you to something. I want to invite you to living rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ. The unconditional love of God. We find in the word of God this, and I've been reading a lot of heavy, revy theological stuff. Actually, much of it's boring, and I have to look up every seventh word. But in reading this stuff, God's bigger than theology. This is what's been upending my life. God's big. 
bigger than my narrow view of him. And he wants to have me grow. He wants me to expand, to understand, to, to think bigger thoughts than I ever thought before. Have you ever noticed how God's not above challenging you? Now, he can challenge you with various things, brokenness. Anybody ever been broke? Woo-hoo! There's a challenge. And through that, here's what grace does. It gets us to see another aspect of the very nature of God. And here's the nature of God in the Bible. Because I've been reading theologians, and finally the one that hit home was the one that said, you know, the Bible is not about people, it's about God. And the Bible has one overarching theme in it. Do you know what it is? God's unconditional love for humankind. From the very beginning in Genesis 1 of the act of creation, right up into the end when we see that the doors of the new city church will never be shut in heaven, whatever that end of age is, and I think we speak about things that we really don't have any comprehension of, what we find is this God who loves no matter what. He's not just motivated by it, he is it. And he loves unconditionally. Now there's lots of other themes in the word of God that fit under that, but I will tell you this. We are not the subject of the sentence of the Bible. We are the object. Do you follow me? God is the subject. We are the object. But ever since about the 17th or 18th century, theologians have been moving that understanding to where we have placed humankind as the subject, not God. Oftentimes, God being the object of our affection instead of us being the object of God's affection. And we've placed this thing. And so, this is what I know. One of the primary themes of who we are, not just as a church, but who we are as individuals. I am loved of God. Within that framework and that understanding, no matter what theological view you have or what doctrinal position that you have been taught or believe in or receive or take, I will tell you this. If it is not rooted and grounded in the unconditional love, it will never be sound. It must be rooted in God's unconditional love, or it won't, it won't find its soundness. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about doctrine. When he was accused over the doctrine of grace that it was too dangerous. So he writes in his exposition over chapter 6 of Romans, and he said... <laughs> And, and referring to grace and, uh, if you will, the unchanging love of God and then the doctrine of assurance of faith, which we would call today eternal security. And someone said, that's a dangerous doctrine. You know what his response was? Of course it is. Of course it's a dangerous doctrine. 
All doctrine is dangerous. All of it is. Because we can wield it and use it incorrectly. We can abuse all doctrine. We can take it to its very extreme and hurt others. We can knee-jerk and damage each other. Nevertheless, he said, never throw doctrine away. Never throw good doctrine away. Learn it, understand it, live in it. Oh, within the theme of all that, I read something over the break, and I shared this several weeks ago now, over something that I read on uh, Facebook, and I, I, it didn't take me very long, and I kind of thought that I would get there. So in December, I decided to get on Facebook. Uh, in February, I'm kind of wrestling with getting off Facebook. <laughs> And I have quickly learned to have a love-hate relationship with it. First of all, I want to go, TMI, 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 please. I do not care if you are at Starbucks getting a chocolate mocha. (laughs) Click, no longer following. (laughs) At least I have this great (laughs) knee-jerk reaction that nobody else sees. But in it... said this, somebody posted this, and it's not, and you wouldn't know who, because it's nobody in this city, nobody in this church, I and mean, it says, God's love is free, but I owe it everything. And they also said this, God's love is unconditional, but his promises are conditional. And I went, no! in my knee-jerk Christianity. I didn't write them back or anything, but with it, it triggered a lot of searching within me, and and I was already reading a couple of books on theology and, you know, our view of life, and through it, through reading an incredible book by an Episcopal theologian by the name of Paul Zahn, and don't let the Episcopal throw you, it's an incredible book, but it's called Grace in Practice, A Theology for Everyday Life because he had this firm belief, which I do also, if theology doesn't work in life, what good is it? Then it's stuck in an upper room with seven guys with suits on that are deciding something that the rest of us could care nothing about. Because it doesn't apply to our lives. And, And within that framework, to dissect and cause the word of God to apply to certain things is something I think that we're all guilty of. We sort of do a pick and choose attitude over our faith. Um, there's a word for that. The, the Pharisees were very guilty of it. Um, it. It has to do with uh, how we take scriptures. Have, have you ever done this? You take scriptures. Scriptures doesn't even have to be out of context, but you apply them in a particular situation and you didn't even look at the context of what that scripture was. You, you just took it and made it apply to what you were going through instead of looking at where it came from, what it was addressing, how it was addressing it, who it was written to, who it was written for, and taking then the whole canon of the word of God 
being God's unconditional love for us and then making it fit to our current situations. I think we're all, are you, am I alone in the box? Are you there with me? As a matter of fact, much of what in the way we've been taught to live our lives has centered in that. Um, And so through this journey, God's challenged me that instead of trying to deal with my problems and my equations by being in equation, to look at the solution to the equation, to see the end of the matter. Do you know what real Christianity is? We know the end. We, we know the conclusion. Ever thought through this? You've been given the answer, and it's solid. Yet we live our lives in such a conditional way that instead of going to the answer, we try to work up to the answer by staying in the equation. Instead of beginning to solve our problems with the answer. You following me? You you with me? You've been given an answer to life and death here. Even when you're in the midst of pain and suffering and it doesn't feel like there's an answer, we all know in their secret place in our hearts, wait a minute, there's a bigger answer. But I don't know if you're like me. I've got stuck in my faith, in my journey in God of living in this equation that uh, it's like somebody else posted this, but it's like uh, Bono uh, in a a book, uh, uh, an authorized uh, biography of him, talked about the difference between karma and Christianity. Between car, actually, between karma and grace, and why he believed in grace and not karma. You see, we've also been taught to live in somewhat of a Christian karma. I would tell you, I used to t- teach this, and I don't believe it anymore. That guy was a heretic. <laughs> because what it does, and if you'll go on the journey with me with this little bit, How much do you negotiate your life in God? Your spirituality. Your relationship to God. In your private prayer times, what do you believe that you have to do in order to just talk to him? How do you talk to it? Do you just go there and start talking to Jesus? Some do and some don't. Some first have to negotiate their stance with him. Am I okay with God before I ask him for stuff? I I think for me, for a long time, I was sort of like uh, the Christian Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. I would go to God's door and go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You better get it said three times because if I don't do that right, he ain't gonna listen to me. He sure ain't gonna open that door. 
Now, let me do it another way. Huh, did I get all those sins covered under the blood? Did I make sure I was right? Am I okay to come before God? What did I miss out? See, that happens in nanoseconds up here on how we process our life with God and we live a negotiated life with him. Brothers and sisters, we can come freely, boldly to a throne of grace by what he already did. We're the object, not the subject. We've received through the grace of Jesus Christ. You know why I believe in grace? It encompasses everything. I don't believe in grace because it's not fair. Of course it's not fair. You don't want fair grace. You can't. I hear people talking about, you gotta give a balanced message about grace. Grace within itself is unbalanced. It is not balanced. It never, balance is right in the center between the knowledge of good and evil. That's from that tree. Grace came from the tree of life. It has nothing to do with that tree. Grace is not an answer to legalism. It's an antidote to change the way we come to God. That's what I'm inviting everybody into. Here's, here's a freedom. You remember the old, the old saying from, and young ones, please bear with me with this. You older ones, you'll understand this. To tent revival times, and then it was... Come to the Lord just as you are. <laughs> well, the problem is, is after we got them there, they went, nah, it's not quite that good. <laughs> There's about eight or nine things you still got to do. <laughs> we lied just a little, though. God will forgive us. But here's the obligations. Now, you have to quit this, 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 and this. And if you keep doing that, the presence of the Lord will stand way back from you now. He will discipline you with this. Really? That's the finished work? Him hanging on a cross and saying, hey, I got us here through death, but the rest is up to you, buddy. And the rest of your life, yeah, you can get in here to salvation, but now you've got to work it out with fear and trembling. Do you really think that's what that means? You see why my thinking's becoming different? I only go to one prayer meeting, one gathering, not that I don't want to go to others, but I only go to one now, and I pray more than I ever did. Because <laughs> he's with me all the time. I'm just praying when I'm sitting grumpy in the room with going, I'm sure sick of this thing hanging around my neck. And I'm praying when I'm driving down the road going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I'm praying when I'm happy listening to my kids. I'm praying all the time. Because 2 Corinthians 1.20 cuts through all this stuff about conditional living. And yes, I know, I'm taking it partially out of context. I'm doing that very thing. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So I want to invite you to go on a journey with me. Break through the boundaries of conditional living with God. 
I want to invite you to learn a different way. Go on the journey with me. Don't have to agree with me 100% with everything. God's going to reveal stuff to you that I don't understand. I'm absolutely convinced that. But wrestle with it. Look at the scriptures we're going to go into. The understanding. You, you know, this is what Romans teaches and what I meant by God gets us in the door, but then the rest is up to us. It, it's a very, listen, that whole body of teaching actually came in, the, in part of the 18th and 19th century through well-meaning theologians who, who moved into a time of understanding that they had within the body of Christ that moved us towards what is the believer's responsibility. And it permeated thought, Christian life, pastors, teachers, and became reflective in our understanding of Christianity. But have you noticed? No, and I don't mean this. I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody. Have you gone to the Christian bookstore and see how many books are on the grace of God right now? Have you listened to the airways? Hey, can you see it in the Christian music, the worship songs? I I was reminded again by the Lord of a quote from William Bradford, who was both a politician and a a pastor in the first great awakening that happened to America. And he saw things going on that violated his theology. And this was his response. You talk about responsibility. This is a quote from him. It is the responsibility of every believer to find out what God is saying to their generation and get into agreement with it. That happened at the beginning of our nation. That's stunning. So I've taken all my doctrines and gone, here, (laughs) sand them, (laughs) explode them, work on them. But what will you have? You have to have this body. Let the Lord show you what he's doing. I don't know, is there a war going on? Seems like it. There's two books with the same title out right now. It's called Hyper Grace. One's for grace and one's against it. And they're both called Hyper Grace, which is a non-biblical term. (laughs) Knee jerk. (laughs) I understand why, though. I understand why. This is really important. And when somebody has a completely different view than you, It starts an argument within you. It happened to the Pharisees too. It happened many times in the church. It actually gave us what we are today, Protestants, a reformation. Paul's approach to the very idea of being a Christian in the New Testament and his understanding, and it, it is what's known, okay, theologically this is known as canon, was a conclusion about believers that it was a grace justification work of Christ, both to die and to raise. And so he put it this way in Romans. He says, Christ died for sin, but was resurrected for your justification. Do you know what justification means? Yes or no? Come on, you give me. I, I know this isn't the normal way I preach. Do you, do you, sort of. Yes. It means this. 
I don't have to be Sheldon Cooper. I'm okay with God. What if I messed up the night before? It didn't change my relationship with God. You're getting this? It's a very freeing thing. It's a very freeing thing. See, God invites us to come to him when we have failures, not to get forgiven, but to come because we are forgiven. Our cleansing, our confession, are you one of those grace teachers that say don't confess your sins? No, confess. But it's not to negotiate your life and your standing in God. He doesn't love you less or more. It doesn't change. He changes not. I like that about him. The other way of looking at life and dealing with our spirituality constantly teaches us to use something as the measuring device. What you did and didn't do. And we use the law. The law is a measurement. But what we've been taught and how we pick and choose that casuistic thing of I'm going to make it fit to where I'm at in life right now is, well, these things are probably okay, but if you do those, those are the biggies that keep you out. You following me? Yes, I cheated once on my taxes, but God gave me forgiveness but then I, you fill in the bank blank with whatever you think is the worst thing that you could do. And God's able to overlook that one, and I confess that one through the kingdom doors, and I stayed on my knees till I felt forgiven. But that one, uh-uh-uh. Nope. That one won't work. God's not big enough to forgive, and yet the gospel and the gospel of grace in its, fair, in its unfairness, this is what we don't like about it, but why it has to be true is that God's grace is for the perpetrator as well as the victim, and the worst perpetrator ever, or it's not the gospel. It has to be available to the worst one on the earth. It has to be available for that crazy dictator in North Korea that I can't pronounce his name. It has to be available to him or it's not God. But we've been taught to live on the victim side of the cross because we've all been damaged. And for that, we will receive abundant of mercy. But for the one who came to church today that's still a little tipsy and smells like too much vodka, they shouldn't be here. I had one friend that was talking to somebody and was inviting them to come to church. She said, oh, I'm afraid to go to church because I'm afraid I cuss too much. I said, well, hell, tell her, come on in. What condition should stop somebody from receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ? What condition in your life 
can stop you, what horrible thing that you either did or was done to you can stop the gospel? Not one thing. He died once for all, was raised to new life for your justification. Listen, this is gloriously unfair good news. And we don't get to pick and choose who it applies and how it applies. And that's what we've been taught to do, even in our own lives. So we have this error, and I want you to break this. This is conditional living with God. And there's one that's really huge error that in the 8th century, the church fathers said, that's wrong. And it's this, in order to receive God's love, we must be worthy of it. In order to receive God's love, we must be worthy of it. Listen, that was taught. And then it's been retaught. <laughs> and it's a big air. We're worried about the air of grace. You better be more worried about that one. Because I've seen the law, and you know what? It's perfect. And you know what it points out? I'm not. You cannot live as a Christian in legalism because of this. God doesn't grade on the curve. It's pass, fail. And the line of demarcation is perfection. If That's the only way the, the law cannot empower you to live in Christ. The law will show you where your life's a mess. That's all it can ever point out. It can never tell you, you're doing pretty good here. It doesn't work that way. It never did. That's why he said it's finished. I'm going to bring an end to that way of measuring. No more conditions. Do you understand that the old covenant that we've been taught to bring forward into the new covenant is a conditional covenant and that the new covenant is a forgiveness covenant and it was between father and son and you're the recipient of it. Thank God. Thank God that I'm the object and not the subject. So that's the first really bad. That equation will not compute, by, by the way. You will have to lie to yourself and you will move into a type of hypocrisy and religion that is constantly measuring yourself and others. That's where that leads. Did they, are they good enough to get it? Horrible way to live, yep. <laughs> so let's look at the sister equation which I'm telling you, I consider just as bad. Not all theologians do. <clears throat> he, will, he will love us a lot when we love him a lot. I could go into some pet teachings around that. But God will love you to the amount that you love him. So you better show God through sacrifice how much you love him. And we'll say it doesn't have anything to do with salvation. And yet, listen, have you, I was taught that. I taught that. Talk about repenting. I've been repenting my brains out. I've got, oh God, I wish I could go and undo those things. Now, listen to the left-handed, weird, one-eyed cousin. He will only love us a little if we love him a little. When in reality, the real teaching was this, and Jesus understood this, to him who is forgiven much, they love much. 
And we've distorted that to mean this, when in reality it was Jesus was saying, hey, if you receive my total forgiveness, guess how you'll love? Totally. Totally, without owing it. You don't have to move into what John Piper called a, a, a debtor's view towards the gospel. God's love is free, but I owe it everything. Uh, it sounds so humble and so right, and it's so wrong. You're the object, not the subject. And negotiated spirituality causes us to live as being the subject matter. What must I do? Jesus was pretty simple with it. Believe on the one that God sent. Believe on me. If we can change this and see that answer, we can actually do what it says in Romans 5, and we can begin to remember what Mark taught last week, because this does tie together, to reign in life. Listen, this is not some strange new teaching or some uh, prosperity gospel. It's right here, but you've got to hear the whole body. So I'll close with this and read this to you. Verse 15. Because this is what conclusive thinking, conclusive thinking means this, God loves me unconditionally. Everything else gets worked out of that. The free gift is not like the offense. He's talking about sin and how it entered the earth. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Made right. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I don't have to be a debtor anymore. I don't have to negotiate my relationship to God. It's settled. It's done. He died once for all for me. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation... Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life, all of life, now life, not when you get to heaven, now. I am now justified. It's actually past tense. I have been justified. (laughs) This can set your heart free. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, talk about hyper grace. You ought to see what this word really means. Grace abounded much more. The, the actual Hebrew is, is actually very much, the only way to do it in modern life is it's like superhero. It's grace superabounded. Its ability to bring the answer was so much greater than the equation.
so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we get it? It's so simple. So simple. I've heard, you've heard this passage so many times. I, between Psalm 23 and this passage, I have been up in my little room trying to get the computer to work, studying and crying because God made it so simple. You all know it well. It's been used for so many altar calls. It's Matthew 11. No more religious hoops. No, come on in just as you are, and then Jesus won't leave you there. He's going to clean you up. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 says what? Come. Come on, some of you know this so well. Come to me, all, and I will for. So take. What do you think it means to take his yoke upon you? Do you see that as you have to crucify your flesh? Or do you see it as taking, this is how you tell if you're negotiating to receiving what he did. It was his yoke. Take my yoke upon you. You you mean it's all yours? You mean the angry fight that I had with my wife last night and I said that horrible thing? And you're not upset with me? I had my yoke. My yoke was a cross and I paid for it. What would happen with the body of people that started taking God at his word and believing him for it? Then tears are turned to laughter. Turmoil to peace. Ugliness to righteousness and mourning to joy. Oh, here's the gospel. Come to me. Hell, y'all come. You don't have to negotiate it. Just come. Just come on in. Well, that's not an answer for besetting sin. You're going to use the law to change it? Guess what? It'll always measure it as sin. It takes grace to get through a begetting sin. (laughs) It takes grace to find an answer to it. It takes grace to be free of it. Because we all live in Romans 7, and that's what I've been talking about. We all live there. Come on. If If you had the courage to be completely honest with me and I had the courage to be completely honest with you, I do that which I would never do and I don't do that, which I should always do? Does that sound like Romans 7 to you? Have you read the answer? Do you know how that ends? Oh, wretch that I am, what help is there for me? Did you read the next verse? It's not in Romans 7. I think it was pretty neat that they started it with a new chapter, and it's 8, the number of new beginnings. Romans 8.1 is the answer. Go to the conclusion. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And don't do what the writers did where they take verse 
four, two, whatever it is, and shove it up there with verse one. And actually, the original, it ends right there. Because grace is so wonderful. (laughs) And don't put any negotiations on it. You're free. You're free. You're really free. And God's loving you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to turn away. He's not going to measure you by the law. He will only measure you by one thing, the cross of his son. And I, uh, I noticed something, that when he was the object, he said it's finished. When he was the subject, he said it was finished. He's the all in all. It's done. It's good news. That's good news for anybody. So if you've got friends that cuss, bring them to church. If you got friends that don't know if this is true or not, bring them to church. If you got friends that think it's too good to be true, bring them to church. If you got friends that don't agree with me, bring them to church. I'll dialogue with them. I won't debate them. I'm willing to dialogue. Sometimes you have to debate, but I understand that. So there's the invitation. Come on a journey with me. What if I see something that's wrong? Do you know there's really tough scriptures? And no, no, I haven't seen any grace, maybe some of the grace. I don't know who those people are that they talk about that say they preach grace and tell everybody they can do whatever they want. I don't know any grace teacher that's doing that, by the way. That's got to be a straw man argument because all of them in their books say, this doesn't mean you can sin and do whatever you want because there's consequences. Ick. Come on a journey with me. Maybe you're new here. Let's explore it. We might make some mistakes. God won't quit loving us. I've certainly offended. And listen, I've I've lost more than half my friends. (laughs) But I had to go back to go, I I don't care. I'm not going to preach a man-pleasing gospel. The gospel is offensive It is a stumbling block, both to Jews and Greeks. I don't care. (laughs) And it's heard all at the same time. It might affect you that way. Are some people thinking you're nuts yet? Have you heard that scuttlebutt about you yet? Well, preach the gospel, you will. What's happened to Lloyd? He got God smacked. <laughs> Stand with me. Oh, beloved, I want to invite you into a ship of grace. Is it costly? Yeah, it cost him everything. But you get to go in free. All the outs in free. I want to invite you into this ship of grace. I do know three things that I believe the Lord showed me that can hinder you from getting in the ship. Doctrines, traditions, beliefs. They can become an obstacle. Come on up, worship team, we're close. But they don't have to be. Now, I won't preach this long every Sunday and in this coming events because we'll have handouts and all that. But I had to lay a foundation. 
And I want to say what somebody years and years and years ago wrote when they got converted, if you will, to Christianity. And it was this. Going to change my way of thinking. That's the invitation. You read Romans 12, 1 and 2, and see if you see it as a condition before you and God or as an invitation to present yourself holy and blameless and see what he proves in your life, not what you prove to him, and become the object of his affection and see what happens. Will you do that? Will you read Romans 12, 1 and 2 this week? Just read it for yourself, and then you can always tell if you're religious if you're a legalist, if you're a casuist, that means taking those scriptures and making them apply to your life. You know, I always tell like this, is if you read verses like that as a condition or an invitation. Do I see it as an imperative or an indicative? Does it mean that I must do this or I'm in trouble? Or, oh God, this will be the reflection of you in my life. That's how you know. I found, oh man, was I a legalist. Oh man, could I negotiate well with God. If I had, he already did. He already did. Beloved, I ask and pray for you that you would receive the gospel of grace fresh and new to your heart. That would free your heart and that you would leave here today knowing that God loves you unconditionally. No additives, no subtractives, no multiplications, no divisions. Jesus Christ loves you now forever. And you won't negotiate if you take that before him. So help us, God. Would you put your hand on your heart?